Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Peter Christofides at our Kubalup campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, we carry on in our series on the heart of kings, having a look at uh, different kings at different stages. And uh, if I were to ask you today, what do you want in life? What do you want in life? Uh, you might answer that differently because each person would answer that differently. And I think the way we would answer that question is, what is most important in our lives? And so whatever it is, that will determine uh, how we answer that question, uh, what we want in our lives. Well, Solomon was a king, sadly didn't follow his own advice. And we know that uh, after the fall of humanity, after the Garden of Eden and what we call the fall, God still wanted to have relationship with his people, just as he longs to have relationship with us today. God says, uh, I want to still be with you. And God blesses them. After a while, they look at the nations around and they see they've got a king and they want a king as well. And God says, I want to be your king. I want to lead you just as I've led you before. Remember the Exodus. I was with you and led you all the way. So they start looking around. God says, but I want to be your king. No, no, no. We want our own king. And then we have the first king, Saul, followed by David, and then also Solomon. And we know that these, some of these kings uh, were bad. Others were even worse than bad. And they didn't obey God completely. Here's King Solomon uh, comes to reign about a thousand years before the birth of Christ, reigns for 40 years, quite a powerful uh, king, but sadly disappoints the things uh, of God. And so he begins to compromise. Uh, after King David comes his son, sorry, uh, after King Solomon comes his son, and sadly at 922 BC we see the split between the northern and the southern kingdom. And then 200 years later, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom gets taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And then in 586 BC, the southern kingdom gets taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Good thing is that God leads them out of captivity to rebuild the temple at about 400 BC. But let's read 1 Kings 3, verses 4 to 15. There's a dream that uh, Solomon uh, is in and um, we read verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices for that was the most important high place and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and God said ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered you have shown great kindness to your servant my father David because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? 
The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but with discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. And that word wise there, chakam in the Hebrew, I will give you a heart that is intelligent. I will give you a heart that is skillful in determining what is right and wrong. So at a young age, Solomon asks for wisdom. Verse 13, Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Verse 14, And if, that word if, if you walk in obedience to me, And keep my decrees and commands as David your father did. I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized that it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. What are some of the lessons we can learn from Solomon's life? I think firstly, you begin to see that Solomon was a very wise man. As we read, he asked for wisdom. And so, uh, 10th son of David, 2nd son of Bathsheba. And we read that he he doesn't ask for, for wealth or to wipe, for God to wipe his enemies out. Because anybody who would come after him or before him would be a threat. And so, he is asking for wisdom at a very young age. And so, God says to him, I will give you your wish. I will give you whatever you ask for. I wonder what I would ask for in that particular case. Lord, you know, as a pastor, my image, you know, Harley Davidson would do good, Lord. Lord, maybe a bit of hair here so I can, you know, be a bit more approachable. And, uh, you know, maybe, Lord, I can speak the lingo better. But most... Solomon asks for wisdom to govern my own life and my own desires. Wow. Wisdom to be able to govern his people. Now, folk, if we read in the New Testament, we read that that in 1 Corinthians 12, we find this gift of wisdom uh, that is very profound. So it's not knowledge, but wisdom, because gift of knowledge is another gift. Here, this gift of wisdom, Sophia in the New Testament, means wisdom in the human and divine sense. A skill of managing affairs. Discretion of truth. Discretion of truth. And so it's this ability to put things together, synthesize things, and to be able to create and produce something from that. In other words, as I... uh, As I put this whole context together, I'm able to discern with discretion what is the outcome and the way forward to produce in a form of creativity what is truth and appropriate for that situation. Bring it on, Lord. Pile me up with it, please. And that's his desire. And we know that a few verses after this, there is an issue where there are two mothers who just had babies. The one rolls over her baby at night. And the baby dies, and the other one lives. And so she's able to swap the babies. They wake up, and this mother with the live baby says, there's something going on here. 
So they bring it before Solomon. And Solomon in his Chakan, in his Sophia, in his wisdom, is able to discern as he hears these two stories. And he's able to say, that baby needs to go to its original mother. In his wisdom, he discerns that. A very wise man. And so we think about Matthew 6.33 in the New Testament. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Because Solomon asked for wisdom, God gave him all these other things that a normal king would request. Seek. Ziteo is that word. In, in other words, when you plan and you plot, you're not plotting for evil, but you're planning for the things of God. Seek ye first the things of God. As you desire, what do you desire? Well, desire the kingdom of God first, Matthew six thirty-three. In other words, endeavor, seek in order to find the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I, as, as I was preparing this, I was wondering, Lord, what do I seek for? What do I desire? Is it, is it to serve you? Is it to know you more? What, are, what do I seek for, Lord? And I believe that the more we seek God, the more we find Him. But we seek Him and we endeavor to find Him. Not just go, well, Lord, reveal yourself to me if it's your plan. And then Solomon showed his love by walking according to the sacrifice that God uh, that he'd made. But sadly, he begins to compromise. And folks, this is about Solomon and his wisdom. But sadly, he begins to compromise and offer idols. Now, there's two words for anti in Greek. The one is A-N-T-I, which means to oppose an anti-something, to be against it. But the other one is A-N-T-E. So from the Greek translated to English, the one is A-N-T-I, which is against. The other one, A-N-T-E, which means, listen, I don't really uh, go and break down that which is evil and wrong. And that's where Solomon began to compromise. He compromised on these terrible things that his wives were doing. And he began to be deceived in his wisdom, if you like. He began to be deceived because he compromised on the high places that uh, were places of worship uh, before God, offering sacrifices to other gods. And friends, let me not compromise here in what I'm about to say. My quiet time this morning, God rebuked me because I often watered down the message. 1 Corinthians 9.16 was my quiet time this morning that woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me. And I felt convicted about that because I often sugar it down so I can earn the right to speak. And I think it's appropriate in certain contexts. But sometimes you become so like the world that the world cannot see a difference between you and God. And that's how Israel had become, you see. And I believe that God wants us to not compromise on his word or else we become like everybody else. And that's what happened to Solomon, you see. He began to compromise and slowly, slowly begins to lose his heart. He begins to lose the things of God in his wisdom. Secondly, we see Solomon, the great builder. Greatest builder in the history of Israel. 
until about a thousand years later, uh, King Herod the Great comes along. We read in 1 Kings 6.37, The foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid in the fourth year, in the month of Ziv. In the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, the eighth month, and the temple was finished in all its details, according to its specifications, he had spent seven years building it. Seven years building Solomon's temple. He had 31,000 men working on that temple. The, the, the stone was quarried somewhere else and transported to, to the place where he built the temple. And it was filled with gold and cedar. And he made uh, such an amazing place. And it was spectacular. It was the most beautiful sight that any human person could lay their eyes on. But then he takes 13 years to build his own palace. So there are implications there. Seven years for the things of God, 13 years for his own agenda. And so he has places all over, in Megiddo in, in Israel, a, a palace uh, for him to go away on holiday, hundreds of stables, and he's a great builder. Sadly, in 587 BC, uh, the uh, Babylonians come in and under Zerubbabel start uh, Conquering and all of that gets destroyed. Gold and splendor everywhere. Built for God. But slowly he begins to lose his heart and begins to be selfish in his wisdom. And so, folk, God gives us our heart's desires. But when we don't use what he gives us for his honor and for his glory, and we begin to compromise the standard that God sets, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Solomon, the great builder. Thirdly, we see Solomon, the ignorant man. Solomon, the ignorant man. We read in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. After the temple gets built, we see Solomon uh, actually get into trouble. Ironically, He's the one that wrote Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, that says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And we begin to see that Solomon begins to, to compromise. He begins to forsake what God has given him. He begins to move away. And that's the mistake he begins to make, because he begins to worship uh, the gods of his wife. He begins to take God's presence for granted. He says, well, if God is among us, that's great. I can do whatever because God is for Israel. And he might be sitting between those two cherubim in the Holy of Holies, and God is with us. He cannot see us if we are somewhere else doing our own thing. And that is where he begins to lose his heart and slowly his integrity. Remember, we read, Solomon, if your people ever turn from my word and my statutes, the temple that you dedicate today will be lost. God always loses, warns his people before he judges them. And sadly, in all his wisdom, he became so proud but earlier on, he writes, pride comes before the fall. And you begin to see that. He loses his integrity and his commitment to the things of God because something else begins to lead him astray. 
Solomon the ignorant man. Wow, how ironic is that? And then, fourthly, we see Solomon the rich man. The rich man. Chapter 10, we read about the Queen of Sheba who visited him and brought him uh, a great gift, beautiful housewarming party of 120 talents of gold. I worked it out, it's probably about $85 million. She comes and she brings him a housewarming gift. Everything in Solomon's temple was gold. Goblets of gold. Uh, we read about it in, in 1 Kings 10 verses 21 and 23 and 26 and 27. He had 12,000 horses. He had 1,400 chariots. Uh, he, he kept the, the best uh, for himself. And he did everything thinking it was as unto God. He had a passive income of gifts, I'm told, of 666 talents. Quite an interesting number, ironically. Worth about $450 million a year of income coming in. And so this man was made. We read in uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, uh, verse 7, that indeed not, every, not even half was told to me. And so many gifts were brought in to this wealthy man. Wealthy and wise, committed to God. But that's not the truth. That's not the truth. That's half the story. Friends, this book is a book of truth. And the truth is that Solomon did not end very well. He didn't end his life very well. I grew up with two sisters, one older than me, one younger than me. And they used to read this, uh, these books called Mills and Boone. It was love stories. And Mills and Boone uh, starts off with this couple meeting each other. And then they break up. I walk into uh, their room and there they are crying. Going, what's going on? They're reading Mills and Boone. This couple broke up. And then a few pages later they make up and everything is well. Sadly, they break up again, but it always ends with them making up. It always ends well. Sadly, Solomon, in his riches, did not end well because he was able to be deceived and led astray by the things that made him wise. In his wisdom, he became arrogant. And I hope to God that there isn't something small or large that can lead us to a side away from God because it doesn't take too much in this day and age. Could be the things that we're longing for. Could be our desires where we begin to compromise the standard that God sets and that could lead us one way or the other. Solomon, the rich man. Sadly, the next point is Solomon, the failure. We read that women were his weakness. Women were his weakness. We read in 1 Kings eleven three to 6, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And then, and his wives led him astray. You see, lady? No. <laughs> his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart uh, after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord 
his God, that the heart of David his father had been as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidomites, the, uh, the Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And friends, as I looked up these words, he was led astray. That word Navav, he was stretched. He was let down. But it's not he was let down. He let himself down. He has choices to make. He had choices to make. Now, friends, we can often think, well, why is there evil in the world? Well, God has not made us sausages. And exactly the same like in a sausage machine. We are different. We have free will. We can accept God and we can reject God. In this particular verse, you see that he was led astray. He was stretched. He was let down. His heart was overthrown. And there is the self-entity that needs to take responsibility for uh, one's own life. If you're a young person, you cannot say, well, because my mom and dad love the Lord, you know, it's all fine. They, God knows about that. Perhaps you were baptized in a church uh, as a young person or as an old person and, and you've grown cold to the things of God. Beware, because we ourselves will stand before God one day and God will judge us individually, not because we came from a great family or a not so great family. We stand before God as individuals. He was led astray. He allowed himself to be led astray. And that is a great warning for each and every one of us. Solomon, in his wisdom, was not able to control himself. It says that uh, as Solomon grew old, his wife turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted. That word is such a rich word, fully devoted. It's the Hebrew word shalem, and the root word there is the word for peace, shalom. His heart was not full and peaceable before God. His heart was not holistically perfect before God. His heart began to compromise, and his heart began to lead him astray. He began to worship the fertility religions, Ashtoreth, that his wives did. And friends, there began to be pagan worship and different uh, practices which I cannot mention because of the presence of kids. But he was a man of God, a king in the nation, but there was immoral worship. And his heart began to compromise the things of God. You know, I find it so interesting that Solomon wrote many of the Proverbs in the Bible, as we know. He learned enough to have some sort of experience and wisdom uh, in, in these wonderful um, Proverbs uh, that he wrote. Remember Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. In Ecclesiastes, he gives uh, these wonderful illustrations of, of serving God. And without God, he says, life is hebel. Life is meaningless. You know, and and he, he, didn't, um, he didn't end well. At the end, he realizes, comes to his senses. You read the end of chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes. He says, I've come to, my, uh, to the realization that life is hebel without God. Life is meaningless. Solomon, the failure. 
in all his wisdom. And so, wouldn't be right <laughs> to end off there. But let me see how that applies to you and to me today. I think firstly, finishing strong is very important. Finishing strong is very important. We can always look back and justify our sin. But friends, we are not uh, in a race that is a sprint. This race of life that we're in is a marathon. And we need people to help us along the way. Never forget that God has blessed us. God has added to us. I don't know if you've come to the realization in your own life that we were going to a lost eternity. Christ came and touched my life. He knocked on my heart's door and I was able to turn away from myself, from my own sin and able to uh, come into the kingdom of God because of God, not because of who I am. Not because of who I am. My human nature is one that takes me away from God. If you were to go to any beach, Kuji, Cottesloe, wherever you are, and you plant your umbrella down in the sand, and you walk into the ocean, it doesn't take long for you to be taken away by the current. That's nature. Our human nature is one that takes us away from the things of God. That's our position. Our disposition is to be drawn back to the things of God. That's our disposition. And so know that it is important to finish well. To finish well. Oh, I'm not too sure how I can serve the Lord. There are many, many ways of serving the Lord. May we finish well because we've been blessed by God. Secondly, never lose focus on who God is. Never lose focus on who God is. Sadly, Solomon began to compromise. Well, you know, God is with me every moment of the day. He's been between those two cherubim uh, on, in the Holy of Holies. You know what? I can do whatever I want because God is with me. God is with us. That's compromising and misunderstanding who God is. You see, God longs to be with me, but do I long to be with God? God has filled us with a desire to do our own thing or a desire to long after him. He has given us the Lord Jesus Christ and he longs for us to share this Lord Jesus Christ with those we come into contact with. And then finally, do not be deceived and compromise God's values for your own life. As Solomon begins to get devoted to all these different wives and their gods, he begins to be led astray. Early on, he starts to compromise. He says, oh, well, you know what? We won't tear down those uh, Asherah poles. We won't uh, do away with them. When God calls you to lead, he calls you to lead with integrity, Solomon. But he begins to compromise. He allows all these other things to creep in slowly. I read in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That word deceived, planao, do not, be, uh, do not allow your heart to roam around. Do not allow your heart to go astray, if that uh, makes sense. Do not allow your heart to be seduced and be out of the way. You see, 
When Jesus said, I am the way, he was saying, I, I am way. There is no other way. I am the only way. People nowadays are saying, you know what, there are many avenues leading to God. Friends, Jesus said it. And if Jesus said it, it's good enough for you and I to believe it. That I, I am way. Not there's, he is one way. No, he's the only way. He is way. And so we must constantly challenge our hearts. The Bible says that his heart had been turned from God. He allowed his heart to be turned from God. As you sit here today, let me end off by making this final statement. You cannot learn godly wisdom in a university. You cannot learn godly wisdom in a university. It comes from the word of God. You learn knowledge in a university. You know that. I know that. Knowledge comes with studying. But wisdom comes when we begin to put that knowledge into practice. That knowledge into practice. As we see what the word of God says, it can stay knowledge. Practice comes when we ask him to fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit so he can direct us. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my pathway. May we not be people, men and women, who give our hearts even a small portion to somebody else other than God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if there is anything in your heart and in my heart today. May we be challenged by the truth because it's that truth that will set us free. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that it's not by might nor by power but only by your Holy Spirit that we will be set free. Lord, we thank you that it is only your Holy Spirit that convicts. Lord, as we sit here this morning, if there is anything, Lord, that you have put your finger on, we pray, Lord, that we will respond to it. Lord, that we will not leave this place without responding to the truth of who you are. Friends, as you're sitting here this morning and God has pointed something that you've been compromising on, I pray that you'll uh, bring it before him this morning. Lay it out on the table and say, God, wipe it out. Help me to, to come back to the truth of who you are. Lord, cleanse our hearts and our minds, Lord, with the truth that we might be able to serve you every moment of the day. May we not be ignorant in our knowledge, Lord, but may we be wise men and women to serve you. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.